Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney, over there Steve. Hi. And today we are continuing our look into the life and works of Joe Pulver. Well, more like the works. Uh, more, more like the works, yeah. This isn't a biographical examination. Right. Then in 1975, a young Joseph Pulver was given smoked his first marijuana time. for the first time. Yeah, this is not the biography channel. So, all right. So, yeah, we are looking at the work of Joe Pulver. Uh, we've done something rather interesting this week and a little bit different because in preparing for these two episodes, uh, it appears that Joe Pulver's body of work is quite large and there's very little overlap between what I have on my shelf and what Steve has on his shelf. Yes. And it's, it's a lot of it is scattered. Now, there are some some uh, anthologies, single author anthologies of Pulver's work, but um, much of his work is actually scattered. So it's actually no surprise that we have different books. Right. So for this week, we chose uh, two stories apiece, one story that we both shared and another favorite we pulled from another source. Yes. Um. First off, the story that we shared was To Live and Die in Arkham from Ross Lockhart's Book of Cthulhu. Right, which is actually, pardon me, uh, published prior to that um, in Sin and Ashes by Hippocampus Press. Oh, I do happen to have that one. All right, um, yeah, but real quick, Book of Cthulhu, if you guys don't have it, grab it. It is like... Remember those KTEL albums in the '80s that were advertised <laughs> on television, uh, where you could just get like it was a like a greatest hits compilation. That is kind of what this book is. It is a greatest hits compilation. Damn near everybody who's anybody was in this book. Yeah, it's it's funny because this book is it, it is exactly that. It's it, it is previously published materials. There's nothing original in it, um, but it is. It is like a who's who of that contemporary weird scene. Thomas Ligotti, Brian Lumley, <clears throat> Sylvia Monero Garcia, Ed Morris, Pulver, Charles Saunders is in there. I mean, you can get it just for Charles Saunders. Yeah, Gene Wolfe is in here. The one story that Gene Wolfe wrote. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Charlie Strauss, Ramsey Campbell, Elizabeth Beer. Laird Barron. Yeah, I mean, you get you got like uh, T.E.D. Klein, Caitlin R. Kiernan, Langdon, yep. Lansdale. Yeah, I mean, it is. A, and just picture when I was listing that off, every every once in a while, one of them was highlighted in blue. Right. And you got to see him <laughs> reading like, while the Lord Calipash's final message was being scrubbed from the skirting boards. <laughs> That's right, ladies and gentlemen. All those hits and more. And if you act now, you get the Book of Cthulhu safe box. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's a safe box. It's like a slipcase with a lock on it. Just for your Book of Cthulhu. Send a self-addressed stamped envelope to 1212 White Plains, Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, it was Battle Creek, Michigan, or White Plains, New York. Those uh, are the two. In this universe, it's White Plains, fucking White Plains, Michigan. Michigan. Just 
kind of like folded it up and they overlap now. Yeah. So this book, um, I don't know if it's still in print. It's Nightshade Press. And I do know that I picked up a hardcover copy of it at Barnes and Noble of Mm. a couple of years ago. It was available. Mm. So Uh, I I think I got mine off of Amazon back when it was new. All right. Confession time. For a long time, and I'm still pretty much a, a, a rookie when it comes to all this weird fiction stuff, right? I was total noob. This was the first weird fiction book that I had gotten outside of uh, uh, The Lurking Fear and Other Stories, which I obtained through nefarious means. Interesting. And To Live and Die in Arkham is the first Joe Pulver story I ever read. And it's up there with one of my favorites. Now. Now, hold on. So the first one I ever bought, which of anthology outside of actual H.P. Lovecraft, uh, was Cthulhu 2000. Mm-hmm. And two of the stories that were in that book are reprinted in this book. Ah. That would be Fat Face by Michael Shea and Lord of the Land by Mr. Gene Wall. Ta-da! Now, what was the first Joe Pulver story you read? Oh, I have no idea. You have no idea. Fair enough. All right. As for the second story, Steve and I diverged. Um, I read Fatally Colored Gestures, uh, from Dunham's Manor Press. It's a little limited edition chapbook from, uh, back in 2014 with lovely Nick Gucker cover on there. And I read The Second Wave of Fear from Beyond the Mountains of Madness, um, edited by some asshole that I won't, uh, name, uh, by... Uh, Seleno Press in 2015. Nice. All right. Now, let's start with the one that we read together, which yes. was the, To Live and Die in Arkham. Before the show goes off the rails and we're talking to ourselves. <laughs> All right. So this this particular story, while not written in the very stylistic prose that we see uh, from Pulver in, say, King and Yellow Tales, Volume 1, or even uh, in Fatally Colored Gestures. Uh, this is more of a straight prose, but it has all of Pulver's hallmarks. It's grim. It's gritty. It's a revenge story. It's smoky back alleys and, and sh- neat whiskey in dirty glasses. Yeah. Uh, we ha- It's not a King and Yellow-related story. It is more of a general Cthulhu mythos. Of course, set in Arkham, Massachusetts. Right. Uh, we have a Miskatonic University professor goes down to the downside, which is the rough area of Arkham, and hires this guy named Will, who apparently is Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. Yeah, that he is. And this professor hires Will to kill another professor. His his rival. His rival. For a copy of a supernatural text. Yeah, and they have like some some dust up. And this is kind of a revenge of getting my shit back killing. Uh, it's, you know, it's it's academia taken to the extreme. Yep. Yeah, it's when you when you arrival, but you ain't got the guts to actually get your own hands well, there. And, and I think I think that this setup is fairly typical for this type of mythos story. Mm-hmm. Um, you have like some academic rivalry that 
spills out into the uh, the mythos. Right. And it's also one of those types of weird tales that is kind of a cosmic justice, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, whereas, whereas, you know, the mythos is usually uh, defined as being indifferent and and uh, just doesn't care. This well, particular but- story is set up so those elements are actually serving some type of sense of cosmic justice. Yeah, well, in a way, this is kind of like if uh, Dashiell Hammett had written a mythos story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got that noir f- feeling to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, aside from the grim and the gritty, <clears throat> it is, like you said, at heart, a revenge story that lines up very neatly um, for that poetic justice twist at the end. And mm-hmm. it reminds me a lot of those old old uh, Sam Spade type Yeah, type that, that Maltese Falcon and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah, in fact, you know, that a little bit longer and this book could have been like the Maltese and, Falcon for the mythos. And I think that probably, I mean, you, you, you could never know, but I think that probably was the intention of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I, you know, and that's, that's a, that's a stylistic thing that, that I really appreciated uh, being both a noob at the time and rereading it for the show. It, it, it flows together so well. And it, for, for what it is for a mythos stories, this one like flips my switches, all of them, all at the same time. Yeah, it does because it doesn't have like the uh, <laughs> the underpinning um, hints of gloom and hopelessness, right? Um, right. Because because it is what it is, and you'd have to read it to actually you know witness this. Uh, there, oddly enough, there is a sense of of hope just because of the way events pan out mm. and, and the, the one character, I, I don't want to give anything more than the skeletal plot away, but the one character um, gets closure kind mm. of in his life. Yeah. Yeah. A lot more. And it all being like, it's just like the perfect storm of events happen and it, it leads to revelations of forbidden knowledge, but a different spin on that revelation of forbidden knowledge. Right, and and really in a genre that you don't have a lot of um, closure in, um, mm-hmm. you know, I would I would probably hazard that ninety five percent of all mythos stories, especially straight mythos stories, um, have that like the window, the window ending, yeah, where it it it's bleak, um, it's vague. Mm-hmm. And this, um, I, you, I guess aspects of it are, yes, they are bleak. And like you said, it is gritty and raw. Um, but there is that, that note of uh, redemption in it, I guess, mm-hmm. or vindication. Or, or you know, right. Uh, I, I wouldn't say, you know, hope or, or but definitely righteous vengeance. Yeah. It, it's almost, um, well, I know another one of your favorite uh mythos stories is from beyond mm-hmm. um and from beyond probably of all the one well done with horror aside because that actually does kind of have a happy ending <laughs> from <laughs> from beyond um has that sense of of revenge in it mm-hmm. you know um and and that 
it's not as hopeless, I guess. Right. Of an ending. Um, you know, the, the character's a schmuck. Right. <laughs> Tilling gas, but... Yeah, Tillinghast is a schmuck. Uh, Will is not somebody you would want to hang out with in in this story. Yeah, yeah. yeah I he's, mean, a, he's, he's a bit of a schmuck himself. Yeah, there, well, he's a he's a contract killer who works very cheaply. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll pay you twenty five thousand. You'll pay me what I tell you. You're gonna pay me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's just like twenty five grand. That's that's enormous. I'll do it. <laughs> We really saved our skids this time, Chewy. Yeah. Um, but it's well worth reading. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth reading. It's actually one of the shorter tales in this book. And contrary to most everything else I've read by by uh, Joe Pulver, it is extremely accessible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's written in that kind of that. Yeah, more of a traditional narrative style, but it still has that that Pulver tone. Yeah, I mean, well, you don't have to have that that uh, cut up style architecture to your your prose to mm-hmm. have something be gritty. I mean, yeah. like it's true. There's, there's plenty of grit to go around, right? <laughs> right. It's 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 a good introductory story to Joe Pulver's work, I think. Yes, because it was my introduction to Joe Pulver is why I said. Oh, there you go. And you're a lifelong fan, so yeah. Well, since you bought this book, right. <laughs> I was not alive until 2011. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't either. All right. So that was To Live and Die in Arkham, Joe Pulver, available in Book of Cthulhu and Sin and Ashes. Next up is Steve's selection. (laughs) All right. So the second wave of fear is the exact and utter opposite um, of... To live and die in Arkham. This is very inaccessible. Um, this definitely uses that technique of Pulver's of staccato sentence structure and um, wonky sense of time and um, action. Uh, basically, he built it on his blog as his preview or, or um, prequel sorry, to At the Mountains of Madness, mm-hmm. um, which it is. This is the story of the Shuggoth Revolt against the Elder Things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say, uh, last week we had mentioned that Pulver uh, signs his work with a footnote of what music ins- helps inspire um, the piece. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Miles Davis, Agartha, Pangea, Disc 2 of Live Evil, selections from Big Fun, and selections from the Complete Bitches Brew Sessions. We'll say that those are some of my favorite, some of my favorite music. <laughs> right, right there. Best soundtrack to any Joe Pulver story, right? Yes, most definitely. And um, At the Mountains of Madness is one of my favorite H.P. Lovecraft stories. Mm-hmm. Which is why I bought a book um, edited by an asshole, right? Um, so that being said, and and having a little bit of um, uh, being prepared, I guess, for how Joe Pulver writes, because this is a uh, peak Pulver, right? <laughs> but not a king and yellow Pulver. Uh, what he ends up doing is taking the elder 
the elder things and imagining them as a hive mind where everything is tekalili, um, all the self, things that you could consider self or tekalili, the actual elder things, the, the uh, cities, the structures, all of that is tekalili. Um, and then you have the other, which are the shagaths, which are called the the CHSS. And he blends two narratives together. One is uh, the narrative of Tekalili existing in Tekalili and the hopes and dreams of Tekalili. <laughs> and the other is um, from the point of view of a who has um, evolved itself through its special plasticity to become Tekalili. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense at all. So they have the ability to, it's a shug if they have the ability to create any appendage or whatever they need to use right. right, to get the job done. Pulver basically extrapolated that, well, why couldn't they um, make a brain? Right. And the only brain they have, as an example, would be a tekalili. Right. So you have this uh, creature that is both Shuggeth and Elder Thing. And he, it basically leads the revolution mm-hmm. against uh, the Elder Things. Um, you have the backdrop of having finished a war with the uh, Swan of Cthulhu and imminent danger from the Migo. And then you have a slave revolt happening. And this is all written in that cut up Pulver style. So it, it, it I've actually read through it twice. <laughs> Just to just to make sure, um, and it is the first time I read it, which was actually before we decided to do all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little taken aback. I guess mm-hmm. is the best way to to describe this. Uh, just it's an, it's an intense book. It's hard to read. It's it's like twenty pages long or so. So it's it's a it's it's work reading this story. It's not something you just sit down and know, yeah, I'm going to read the story. Um, but I wanted to read it again for the show. Um, and the second reading, you, I found I could pick up a lot more uh, because I knew what I was in store for. And it is a, it's a really clever story. <laughs> um, the way he blends the prose itself the themes of the prose and what's going on into the, it's like almost a, a, a stew of, of um, theme structure and plot. And um, I, I think in this way hits, hits you more um, emotionally at the core than had he told it as a straight narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, events are, yes, events aren't as clear. Uh, the timeline is all over the place. Um, but if, if you read the story and you have a little bit of knowledge, I, I guess it does help that I'm familiar with at the mountains of madness and the secret history of the world, according to HP Lovecraft. Right. Right. Um, but I mean, I almost say, why would you have bought this book in the first place? If you hadn't read at the mountains of madness and enjoyed it. Right. So at that, you sometimes that bothers me that people make us, Authors make assumptions about um, what knowledge you have and what knowledge you don't have. This is in philosophy class. You don't have to have a working knowledge of Hegel 
to understand Marx, right? right. Well, I mean, you do right. in philosophy class, but you shouldn't have to do that in literature. Right, right. Um, but in this case, because it's such a specific book, um, these are stories about the the Antarctica in H.P. Lovecraft's milieu. You, you, I think you can assume something like that. Uh, much like the King in Yellow tales, you assume that the reader's familiar with Chambers. Right. Because why else would you have bought that book? Mm-hmm. And, so, and if not, if not Chambers, uh, at least Carl Ed- Edward Wagner and and Blish. Yeah, but you're probably more. I'm going to know Chambers than right. Blish or, or Wagner. Um, but so, you don't necessarily need to know Bierce to get to do that. Exactly. Exactly. So um, that all being said, the second wave of me reading this, um, I enjoyed it a lot more than the first time. Uh, it's a good book. I have a good story. Um, interestingly enough, when I was trying to research at all um, anything about this story, there is a review up on um, Goodreads that says that this is a great book, except for one story, which is unreadable. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's why he couldn't give it a five-star rating, this book, because there was one story that... Um, that was unreadable. I, I'm guessing it was this story. That's uh, possibility. Yeah. Um, so, so caveat emptor. If if you like Pulver style, um, then yes, this is a great story. Mm-hmm. Um, if if that kind of prose bugs you, you're probably not reading Pulver anyway. So there you go. Right, right. So not exactly what you would call the introductory story. Oh hell no! No, this is <laughs> this is for someone who has already cut their teeth on yeah, on the, the Joe Pulver style and is able to consume it a little more yes. readily. Yes. This is uh this is a 200 300 level course as opposed to the 100 level pulver course. Right. Right. I'd say. Yeah, Joe Pulver is definitely what they would call an acquired taste. I, well, I, I think I think that's that's true as well, but I think that once you you get beyond uh, the wheat and the chaff, mm-hmm. or once you're able to separate the wheat and the chaff. Sorry, let me mix my metaphors a little bit more. Um, and the cream will rise to the top. And you cut out like a lot of the the one hit wonders and the pastiche and all of that. And you're getting into the nitty gritty of who is writing weird fiction that goes beyond like a. a cutesy little twist and a scare, mm-hmm. right? Books that are actually saying something, mm-hmm. uh, you know, big boy stories with themes <laughs> and motifs and all that stuff. Um, Joe Pulver is definitely in that category. I mean, I could go on about the themes of, uh, you know, s- slavery and sense of self. And, uh, you know, there's definitely a lot, there's even like a, um, a nod to like to messiahs not being able to enjoy the fruits of their labor, mm-hmm. like Moses, uh, that's going on in here. Uh, so I mean, there there's definitely like some deep things happening on here, as opposed to like a cute little irony, right? Right. So uh, which not to disparage the other story we read, um, but that story is kind of like a cute little irony. Mm-hmm. Um, 
where this is more, uh, you know, literature, something right. that, that opens up and, and has, you know, when you're done with it, you don't just put it aside and go, oh, that was kind of cool. You kind of put it aside and go, wait a minute, was, was, uh, Chickalili? Was he Moses? Was he like the Shuggeth Moses? So, and the uh, answer there, is yes. That, that that might be the answer. You have to read it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I I think once you have um, a deep appreciation of of the the literature aspects of, of Pulver, this is a great story. Hmm. Once you have all the tools in your toolbox, exactly, you can tackle this. As it is intended. Right. All right. So if if to live and die in Arkham is one extreme and second wave is another extreme, fatally colored gestures is the middle ground. Uh, this is a weird Western. Uh, it is written in, in, in the Pulver style, but it's a little bit more subdued. It, it's not the, the full tilt throttle to the floor type of Joe Pulver. It's the one that, that combines the straight traditional narrative with bits of poetry and staccato sentence work. Um, it is the tale of a couple of desperados uh, who are meeting up with their old outlaw boss, a man known only as the captain, a fearsome and brutal man uh, for some job that is not revealed to us till the end of the book. Um, and pretty much it's it's for... It is 24 pages long, the entire book itself. The story is 20... Probably 20 pages. Nin yeah, 19, 20 pages, something like that. Um, and a lot of it is kind of a, a, a travel log. Uh, there is a little bit of the unusual... Uh, linearity of the narrative because we do go back in time and witness a couple of memories that our two main characters Johnny and C uh, have on as they're on their way uh, but this is kind of a, a, a road trip through a spaghetti western scorched earth type of type of realm and I know you like weird westerns you're not a big fan of westerns westerns but you like it when it's weird I do like it when it's weird um, and I actually expect Joseph Polar Sr. to have his weird Western beef spaghetti. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, very much, very much. I mean, it's very vivid uh, storytelling, and it is that kind of spaghetti Western, um, you know, rough, haggard men traipsing through what can only be described as a, a blasted post-apocalyptic landscape. With only vultures for friends. Southern Italy. Right. And, and yeah, it's kind of like, it's in a, it's a, in a, like a spaghetti western. It's kind of that, um, it's not anywhere real. It's it's kind of this um, mythological west, as it were. Like you see in Chinese novels, the mythological period of history, or, or uh, Jitageki films, or Chanbara, where... The, the the references are kind of subdued, but it and it definitely feels historical, but it's kind of this like piece of history that lies just to the side of what actually happened. God damn, you just gave me a weird idea. 
Okay, Nick, just sorry. And you can totally edit this out if you want to. But you have a Western situation, right? Mm Kind of like this. But it is the Western lands. Right. Right. So these are all dead people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) These are all people who have passed on from from cultures like China, Japan, Mm. and they've they've gone to the West and it's the American West. <laughs> but like this mythological American But the West. spaghetti western version. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So so the spaghetti western west is the land of the dead. Is the land of the dead. Yeah, exactly. It's the western pure land. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I'm leaving that in. That's just that's too good. <laughs> I think I think Joe would appreciate that. So I'm going to leave it in and let it be broadcast to all the way to Carcosa. Nice. Um, now, like To Live and Die in Arkham, this is also one of those tales of kind of cosmic justice. Uh, and what happens, without trying to spoil it, is that uh, Johnny and C have uh, done someone dirty. What they don't know is the person that they have done dirty is some type of supernatural entity. And so the captain being being essentially the devil in this piece brings Johnny and C to face their reckoning. And it's one of the few uh, Pulver stories where the title actually gets a shout out within the text of the story. Hey! And, and it, it occurs so naturally that I didn't notice it the first time I read through it. But uh, I don't know the availability of this one either. Um, if it's been republished anywhere, uh, didn't do much homework. I just wanted to read it, enjoy it. And this is also <laughs> one of my particular favorite Joe Pulver stories because I do like a good Western every once in a while. There and, you go. And this is not only a Western, it's Pulver doing a Western. So it's covered in marinara sauce. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing a quick look up to see if it's available anywhere else. I have a sus- suspicion, but I don't think it's going to pan out. And it's not. It's not. Never mind. So if you can find a copy of it, it was a limited edition from Dunham's Manor Press. So if you can find it, fantastic. Uh, otherwise, uh, maybe Julia Morgan, if she's watching this, can do a reading of it on YouTube and everybody Probably. will get to enjoy it. Listening. Or listening. I'm sorry. And that does it. That's our that's our three story look at Joe Pulver. If you're unfamiliar with him, hopefully these two these past two episodes have given you the drive to look into a true modern master of weird fiction. Well, you know, hold on. <laughs> okay, hold on. I mean, we could we could dig a little deeper than that. Okay, um, you know, we can. I was just thinking about how even like his what we were saying earlier that the Cthulhu mythos uh, usually is uncaring, blah, blah, blah. And none of Pulver's stories have that feel of hopelessness. Not like that. They're horrible <laughs> and, and bad things happen and they're brutal. Um, but it, it's almost as if even in his straight up Cthulhu mythos uh, stories, mm-hmm that you're going to have this king in yellow feel to it. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say, cause he's known it for as the king in yellow guy, 
But even his Cthulhu is a little bit Carcosa. Right. Because, I mean, that's like part of the whole part and parcel of of the King in Yellow or, you know, people getting their comeuppance. Mm-hmm. Well, his his um, uh, Arkham from To Live and Die in Arkham could easily be across the river from Carcosa. Or yeah. Yeah. Um, the the American West of fatally colored gestures could just as easily be the the blighted landscape of in crumbling towers of Carcosa. Um, I, yeah, Carcosa, the King in Yellow, that that kind of presence does come in and weigh itself down. It's it's almost like no matter what happens, uh, what even if he's talking about Nyarlathotep or any other. Cthulhu mythos, you know, the true king in yellow is always kind of there. Watching yeah, over. exactly. Uh, so to, to the point where, um, well, well, even in, in the second wave of fear, you don't have, like, beca- I guess maybe it's because there's no actual human people mm. in this story. And it is told from the perspective of quote unquote cosmic beings, right? Right. We're cosmic races, right? Right. Elder things, shuggaths, that you don't get that complete sense of menace and doom, not the same kind of sense of menace and doom that you get when you read at the Mountains of Madness. Right. Uh, because, because your perspective is humans. Mm-hmm. limited imagination, limited viewpoint. Uh, it's more opened up, but there's still that sense of of just menace. I mean, there, there's horrible things happening in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you've read At the Mountains of Madness and, and you know that they talk about horrible things that happened in the Shuggath War mm-hmm. and the Slave Revolt. So, um, yeah, even like even the, the end, the twist at the end of, of the story screams like I ha- I wear no mask. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like blatant. It's out there. Uh, it, it's almost like the naked lunch. It's like what's at the end of your fork. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And and to take it back to one of the comparisons we made last episode. Um, yeah, it, it gives this this figure of almost like an e- eternity as as a conscious being to to bring back that Kirby Ditko Marvel Comics thing kind of watching over you know it's almost like all of his stories you know end and it's like you expect a narrative i am uatu the watcher <laughs> and what you've seen is one of many possibilities <laughs> What if the Shuggath War was caused by the plasticity of a Shuggath's brain? That's right. That's right. The Reed Richards of Shuggaths. <laughs> this is what happens when you get when you get bitten by a radioactive uh, carpenter ant instead of a spider. <laughs> <laughs> but but they do they do have that kind of you know that type of what if. Or or the night gallery kind of thing where the story ends. It has its ending, but it's always that kind of that kind of just a little bit of a twist there and go, you know, irony. Like, yeah, irony. Or the crypt keeper's gonna pop out and go, ah, and give a yeah. pun. And and we didn't talk about that uh last week. Uh it's definitely got that Serling Matherson kind of flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where I'm not saying there's a moral lesson to be learned in his stories, 
but it definitely has like that uh ec comics right right the kind of deeper yeah kind of just like <laughs> you almost expect pulver to come at the end and tell a really shitty pot or or <laughs> or to to take it back to the king in yellow mythos you expect the stranger in his pallid mask to appear to give you whatever they believe the moral <laughs> of the story is take off his mask and tell a really shitty pun take off his mask and it's another mask but yeah that's i mean there's so much to unpack with with any joe pulver story so much to unpack over the entire corpus of of his work and it's just something that if you have not checked it out, you should have. If you've read a little, read more. Yeah, it's definitely, um, I won't say it's a good time to get into Pulver because, you know, obviously nobody wanted Pulver to pass. Um, but it is it is an opportune time for people who aren't familiar with Joe Pulver uh, to start looking into some of his works and appreciate him as um, an, an artist. Mm-hmm as opposed to just a mere, um, just, just another weird fiction. A mere mortal. Another weird fiction blowhard (laughs) jobbing, jobbing in anthologies. Yep. All right. So, so the final words would be our condolences, uh, to cat. Yeah. And all of Pulver's friends who were much closer to him than we were. Joe Pulver is definitely missed. I, I know that his his shadow still looms over the rest of the world. It does. Um, yeah. Well, hopefully he'll he'll get um, the recognition he deserves. Yes. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, keep a thirty luck points and stay safe out there. Wear your masks. Mm-hmm.